0: It might be unkind of me, but I hope that at least one time in your life all of you have the opportunity to go into an ice cream shop with a small child. Not the little ice cream shop with their four flavors in one bucket. The one that has 64 different flavors of ice cream, where you read each flavor 12 or more times. And the child finally decides on the flavor that they want, usually the same flavor they had last time. And when the child finally decides, then the attendant hits you with a, well, we can combine two flavors if you want. And then the process starts over again. And lots of times, parents, when faced with a situation like this, will know exactly what flavor before they even walk in there their child is going to get. They'll list all the flavors, but you know your kid's going to come back to that one flavor. And if they don't, you know they'll wish they had. But when push comes to shove, you still have to go through the whole process to get there. And sometimes, I feel like the world we live in is kind of like that ice cream shop. Million different options, infinite combinations, and where the child's supposed to pick the flavor. Some flavors are good, some are bad, and some fall squarely in the middle and just are. But, like the child in the ice cream shop, we are given a guide that we should listen to. Direction in discerning between right and wrong choices. Unlike the ice cream shop, however, the various warning passages that we had the opportunity to look at in the book of Hebrews I've made it clear that even in the sovereign plan of God, He guides and He directs our step, but even within His plan, the choices that we make do have eternal significance. We are held to account for the choices that we make, and they mean something. We stand to miss out on more than just a good dessert experience. So this morning, I want to take a look at the importance of how and where we spend our time. Obviously, with it being Orientation Sunday, that's going to be high on our hearts and minds. And we want to look at what we do with the time that has been given to us, recognizing that it is given to us. We are not guaranteed a moment more. So that being in mind, I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read a good chunk of it in verses 1 through 17. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word to his people. Being a preacher who usually just follows the chain of Scripture, preaching on what comes next, has many benefits. It helps us to understand the context of what we're preaching. It helps us to get a better feel for the book and the author's style and where it's all pushing towards. But it also makes it a little unfamiliar when a Sunday like this comes up where a message like this is called for. And looking at this passage, initially I wasn't totally sure whether this passage was saying what I wanted to say. And my big issue was one of context. Too often, we have the tendency to, okay, I want to prove this, or I want to say this. So I'm going to do a Google search and find a Bible passage about this. And now I have my passage. The Bible says this, so, but then we don't bother to look at the context and go, well, that's not really what it's saying at all. So I started looking at the context of our passage. Our passage starts with, if then you have been raised with Christ. It's an innocent enough beginning. It fits as a kind of new thought. It kind of seems like it's pushing forward. But as I broaden my scope, that if then you have been raised with Christ is tied directly to the previous chapter, which says, if with Christ you died. Chapter 3 is not just a new beginning, kind of starting off on a new tangent, but it's dependent on chapter 2. And chapter 2 of Colossians spends a lot of time talking about the rejection of false teaching, talking about the variety of different festivals and food laws and Old Covenant type festivals that were being pushed and so I started to look and go, does, does this fit? But as I was thinking about it, I realized that not many of us are being pushed on the idea of food laws. Food and drink, festival, new moon and Sabbath. That is not our bread and butter of what we face in our spiritual walk day to day. But we are being pressured from all sides with all manner of false teaching. Selfism, the ultimate worship of self in everything, putting number one first. Moral therapeutic deism, that you should be happy and you should be a good and moral person and maybe there's a God, but you just just be a good person, you follow God, you live a good and happy life, and one day you will... You'll get there, wherever there is. Even secular humanism, an utterly secular and atheistic belief that basically just says humans have the right to determine our own lives and we need to determine what is right for us and we need to pursue that and we have the right and responsibility to shape everything about the way we live. All of these and many more are rampant in our culture. We are being assaulted on all sides by all manner of different secular teachings and pseudo-religious teachings that need to be combated in the way that we live and in the choices that we make. A common thread in almost all of the teachings that our world has fallen in love with is That at their core, they are man-centered. Even the ones that believe in a God, many of them, it's just, I believe in a God, but as long as I'm happy and I do good things, that God will be fine with whatever choice I make. So at that point, you're still at the center of the whole story. How can we look out for what's best for us? How can we be the most happy? How can we make our world a better place for for our children for future generations so while I may not need to admonish you about food laws as chapter 2 of Colossians does I do need to warn you against the common teaching of our world today the idea here was that the audience of Colossians should not fall back into old ways of thinking and old ways of worshiping we have all been born into a world that will do everything in its power to indoctrinate us into any belief besides the one that follows the teachings of Scripture. And we need to be prepared to fight back against that. We may not be falling back into food laws, but we can very easily fall back into the worldly teaching of just be a good enough person and God will love you. That includes many different pseudo-Christian religions that claim to follow Scripture and then rob Scripture of any power or authority and proceed to just dress up moralism as Christianity. Be a good moral person and God will will reward you for that. And ultimately, the solution to our inundation with these anti-biblical ideas is that God would fill us with something else. That God would fill us with His Holy Spirit and that we would be so steeped in His Word that there's no room left for the other garbage that our world seeks to throw at us. We need to see the value of God's truth, of the truth found in Scripture over what the world peddles. If your idea is that you're just going to kind of weigh them all and see which feels better. Well, it's going to feel better for you to just do whatever makes you feel good. But if we see the value of the truth and the direction in which the truth takes us and the fact that short-term, yeah, it might feel better to just do whatever feels good, but long-term there are consequences for denying the truth, then we need to rely on the Word. Our passage this morning starts, if then you have been raised with Christ. That if then could also be restated as since because this whole passage is talking to these people assuming that they have placed their faith in Christ. He says, since you've been raised with Christ. And it then gives them eight commands. Seek the things that are above. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all these, put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus I love that so many of these forces us to turn our eyes outwards. On a Sunday that's talking about the upcoming year's activities and ministries and programs, it is ever important for us to realize that we are not our own. Since you have been raised with Christ, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that you are not your own. You are bought with a price. All of our decisions then must be informed by eyes and hearts turned outwards from our own interests and our own desires. Looking to the word for the criteria on which even our schedules must be arranged. And I think this passage this morning provides a great rubric for how we act and what we do. So we're going to briefly engage with each of those eight commands. Seek the things that are above That one provides an overarching structure for all the ones that follow. And, I mean, an obvious connection here for a preacher coming fresh out of the book of Hebrews is that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. If we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and if we are seeking the things of Jesus, then all the rest of these commandments fall into place. All the rest of these commandments will be at work because we are pursuing the one who has set these commandments in the first place. Whatever we do, we must keep our hearts and minds firmly grounded in the understanding that our treasure is not here on earth. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And... One of the ways that we do this, thinking of kind of our situation this morning, is that we have to be constantly taking stock of the way that we fill our schedule. Every single one of us is going to be given enough opportunities and things to do to fill a year of time in a week. And the way you choose to whittle that down to somehow fit within a week is going to be incredibly important. It doesn't matter who you are from the king of England down to the most measly of us all. Whether you are the most educated doctor of something to the completely uneducated, never even went to high school. Every single one of us still only has 24 hours in a day. It doesn't matter who you are. We all only have seven days in a week. And the way that we use that time is going to be defining of who we are and what we value. Paul's rubric for this in Philippians 3 was that he presses on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So when something comes up, when we're looking at our schedule and the way that we're going to live our life in the upcoming seasons, we need to ask ourselves, is this of eternal value? Does this contribute in some way to the hope and the future that I have been given in Christ? Or contrastingly, does it take away from it? Our second command deals with this. Put to death that which is earthly in you. If we don't do this, we cannot succeed at command number one. We all have a fleshly nature at work in us, warring against the new nature given to us in Christ. And we all have to be doing battle against this old fleshly nature to see any manner of improvement. I enjoy the occasional scientific article, and one of my favorite concepts within science that just seems to fit so well, and I, I love when science just happens to fit with Scripture because, well, the one who made science made Scripture, but I love the concept in science of entropy. Entropy is the measure of disorder. It explains why life seems to get more and more messy rather than less complicated as time goes on all things trend towards disorder. More specifically, the second law of thermodynamics states that as one goes forward in time, the net entropy or degree of disorder of any isolated or closed system will always increase or at least stay the same. All that to say, nothing in the universe naturally improves itself. No system gets better and better and better and more efficient and more efficient until it's perfect. We all can see that at work in the worlds around us. If you leave your garden long enough, it is not going to form itself into nice rows that you can pick easily. It is going to get taken over with infinite weeds and just grow and nature will take over and do what it does. We cannot exist our way into an improved position. At best, we will stagnate, but more likely we will descend into what science calls chaos and what we call sin. If we want to seek the things that are above, if we want to pursue things that are of eternal value, then we must be putting to to death the flesh. Our old earthly desires must be passing away. And that natural descent into chaos that our world does on its own doesn't even begin to recognize the fact that on top of our natural and sinful bent towards chaos, there is also an adversary that would more than happily help push us off that cliff. I do think that we often try to blame Satan and his minions for our Sin and misfortune that oftentimes he probably had nothing to do with other than just letting us follow our own direction. Sometimes we, "Well, the devil made me do it." Well, no, you wanted to do it, and you did it, And the devil went, "Good job." But sometimes we try to blame Satan, but the reality is is that we do have an adversary who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to, to devour. And if we didn't naturally trend towards chaos, maybe we were just stagnating. He would happily push us a little bit further in that direction, tip the scales. But that is a message for another time. If we are to recognize and follow the things that are above, heavenly things, holy things, righteous things, then we must be putting to death our own sinful desires, actively turning from what is wrong and towards what is right. The next four commands all follow a similar vein. They all play to what we talk about in community, in our interactions with one another. Put on compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all these things, put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. We are commanded towards corporate life. None of us are designed or made to live the Christian life alone. I am reminded daily of how desperately I need the church, how desperately I need fellow believers, whether that's in my relationship with my wife and family or in the greater church, how much of an encouragement it is to have each one of us building one another up. We are to seek the things that are above, put to death what is earthly, and then turn outwards. These virtues listed here are meant to be exercised in community, exercised in the church. The reality is that if we are to seek the things that are above and put to death what is earthly, we need the church. We cannot do it on our own. We need a community of like-minded brothers and sisters, one body, the one body, who are committed to the same thing that we are. If we are surrounded by people who are displaying the, the same virtues and acting and pursuing the same things right alongside us, it becomes so much more manageable For us to see that come into effect in our own lives I mean you take a look at any children's group of friends they all develop their own persona and if your kid gets in with a group with a good persona a a bent towards helping or caring or loving your kid gets more and more like that group and the same with your kid joining a group of ruffians and thugs that are constantly getting into trouble. Well, even though you got a good kid, gradually you see your kid kind of go, well, maybe I can engage in one or two of these activities. And lo and behold, you see them kind of going down a wrong path. We need to... Also recognize, though, that these virtues that are listed here, and much of what you can see throughout that chunk of the the passage, they have obvious crossover and even verbatim crossover with the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. So as you read this list of virtues, it can seem like a lofty list of expectations. It can seem like to be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient and loving and peaceful and be thankful in all things, that can seem like a lot to expect of anyone but they're not so lofty to expect of a believer who has been indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. He will work those things in us if we have believed in Him. Nearing the end of our list at number seven of those, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I have heard... Far too many believers in my lifetime, and have been one of them more times than I care to admit, who have claimed they didn't have the time to immerse themselves in Scripture. I want to read my Bible, but I just can't find the time. Or if you know someone who spends incredible amounts of time in Scripture, if you are that person, I will guarantee you that you have heard from people. Be like, how do you find the time to? spend so much time in Scripture. I mean, people assume as a pastor, well, you're paid to do that. You have the time to do that, but me, I've got to work. I've got to go and do this, that, and the other thing. The busyness and demands of a job or school or a household or extracurricular pursuits, all of those things are things that we make time for consistently, without question while our souls pant for the living water that Christ provides in his word to nourish and refresh our souls. I found it very interesting. I read an article recently that said many people who have been found in the desert who have died of dehydration are found with water still in their canteens. People dead in the desert from lack of water still carrying water trying to ration and conserve and make sure they don't run out. They perished with what they needed still sitting in their bags. And if we find that we do not have time for the Word, then we had better do something to trim our schedules. Our God desires to speak with us through His Word by the Holy Spirit. And we must listen or we will become spiritually dehydrated, dying with water right at hand. We have the well that will never run dry, and yet so many of us are spiritually parched. We need to make time for time in the Word, whether or not we feel like we have time for it. Make time. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is both the kind of catch-all and the summary. If you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, then you will do so seeking the things that are above, putting to death what is earthly in you, all the while putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love, and letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts with gratitude, And his word will pervade your being because you are doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to do something in his name, you need to know what he commands and you will find that in his word. I'm not here this morning to tell you that you need to sign up for every ministry and Bible study that this church puts on. I don't expect you to first go to Ed and say, okay, I want the Bonneville Bible study back on. And then say, okay, I'm also going to sign up for the St. Paul one and the Elk Point one. Just make sure they're on different days. I'll hit each one and then come to church on Sunday. And I'll also volunteer at Youth Group and Kids Rock. And I'll also show up at the church and mow the lawn and shovel the snow. I'm not saying that you need to be doing everything. I'm not saying you need to be a part of every single ministry and you need to spend every second that you have in your schedule reading the Bible. I'm not here to tell you that your hunting, fishing, sports, trips, camping, work, family life, whatever else it is that you do in your life is wrong because you should be at church or reading the Bible. What I am here to say is that in light of what we read in God's Word, that we must be incredibly particular about what we choose to do. Given our finite resource of time, we must seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, setting our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So be sure as you fill your schedule this year, that you are not simply pursuing your own aims and your own desires, the things that seem the most interesting and fun to you. Interesting and fun is not bad. That is not the only criteria. Make sure that if someone were to look at your schedule, it wouldn't just read like a diary of self, that I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. And that it wouldn't even look like a, an ode to your family. That your life is not going to be filled with running from event to event to event to event to family dinner to this to that to the other thing. Making sure your family is loved and cared for and taken care of, but not having a split second to do anything else. Many of us parents are guilty of that, where we place our family up on this pedestal and we make our family an idol before God. And our family never sees what it's like to have parents or grandparents that pursue God with their whole hearts and say, you know what? I would love for us to be able to do this, but we need to be at a church. We need to go to a Bible study. We need to make family worship and prayer time a priority when i open up my calendar my calendar will say volumes about what it is that i care about and my calendar should be representative representative somehow of a incredible desire to glorify god my calendar should scream that that is my first and foremost priority. We need to pursue the things of eternal value, and in all things, obviously spiritual or not, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Obviously, your schedule is not going to be a list of Bible studies. We all have to work. We all enjoy our own pursuits and passions. And as you do those things, not just passively, but actively be pursuing Christ. If you're just going to say, okay, I'm going to do this, but if I get a chance or if something shows up, then I'm going to find a way to glorify God in this. It's not going to happen. Our world does everything it can to shut out any opportunity To bring God into anything we need to actively be making opportunities to bring God into these things a small example of this from my own life is my work on the fire department it is not a God-friendly place very few people who know and trust in the name of Jesus But every now and then, I'm able to, we have meals together. I'm able to say, I'm saying grace. And to God's glory, it's become assumed. If we have a meal together, okay, well, pastor's going to say grace. And even just in those little things, you don't have to be the one that shows up at every kid's sports game and stands on a soapbox behind the backstop and yells Bible verses at people on home plate. But find and make opportunities to preach the gospel even when you can. And don't just assume that they're going to be coming to you. I could go on forever about this. And I'm very excited to see the people in our church who have committed to leading ministries and helping in ministries. And the people who I know are incredibly involved in the ministries of the church and i encourage each one of you to continue to do so our number is a little scant this morning so for all of the people who aren't here you are now my agents go out and make sure that they get this go out and encourage your friends and your christian brothers and sisters who couldn't make it this morning and make sure that they understand that as They live and move and have their being that they are acknowledging the one who is giving life by the way they live and act.